0: So what does it take to make your first million, to scale a business, or to get your first high street listing? I'm Oliver Bruce, founder and entrepreneur myself, and I ask industry leaders and entrepreneurs on my award-winning podcast, Success Is In The Mind, exactly that. From high-growth startups to scale-ups and businesses about to exit, I am joined weekly by the founders of businesses like Octopus Energy, Genies, Thursday Dating, Habito, Cano Water, and Hera, as well as many more. From sportswear to tech, energy to consumables, hear it here firsthand from those entrepreneurs innovating and disrupting. Join me every Wednesday from 8am. When was it, 2020, that Kate Middleton, Duchess of Cambridge, decided to don one of your hats?
1: That day, we actually won't ever forget. We got tagged in Instagram by some Russian fan following account, (laughs) royal fan account. (laughs) And just from that moment, went absolutely crazy. If only they knew we're just this small, you know, sister duo that are based on a farm in rural Suffolk.
0: Thank you so much to our headline sponsors for the year capsule cover. Capsule Cover, a specialist insurance partner to growth businesses, supports some of the UK's most innovative and ambitious companies. Sponsoring each and every one of our podcasts, we're on a journey with Capsule, and so should you be. If you're a scale-up or an ambitious, high-growth business, check out how Capsule Cover can help you with bespoke insurance solutions. Inquire via capsulecover.com and quote Success22. On today's episode of Successes In The Mind, we are joined by fashion entrepreneurs and sisters, Alice and Rosie from Hicks and Brown. Named after their family farm, Alice and Rosie didn't start out in the world of textiles and design. In fact, they worked the corporate life in London before deciding to hand their notice in and design and sew jackets. Having tried to shift a few jackets at an event and realising that they sold out of hats first, they pivoted and Hicks and Brown as we know it today was born. With the Duchess of Cambridge being spotted in a Hicks and Brown fedora, I ask is the Kate effect, or Kategate as they call it, real? How do you get a fashion brand off the ground with little to no money? And just how important are exhibitions and events to brands like Hicks and Brown? Ladies and gentlemen, by royal approval, Alice and Rosie. So Alice, Rosie, thanks so much for coming.
2: Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us.
0: So I think you're the first sort of sibling pairing that we've had on the show. Rosie, Alice, what was it like growing up together?
1: We were very close growing up, actually. Um, we're quite close in age and um, we, we just have happy memories of childhood, don't we, Rosie, really? Um, growing up, we're farmers' daughters. Um, we, had, we were outside a lot. Um, we were just very, very simple, um, good fun making dens, and... Um, we were always around sort of horses. Our mum's very horsey. So um, we we just had a really, we look back on, on childhood very fondly.
0: Interesting that you're a farmer's daughter because you're, you you named the brand, didn't you? Hicks and Brown, which is obviously what we'll get onto shortly. But you named it after your family farm, Hicks Farm. Is that right?
2: Yeah, exactly. Our um, I think we really struggled when naming the brand because our names don't really lend themselves that well to a kind of brand name. and um, But we really wanted that kind of tie to some sort of family, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, so our dad's farm is Hicks Farm. So that's, um, yeah, that's where the where the Hicks came from.
0: So. And it was a working farm, I'm assuming, when you guys were, were growing up. Did you have brothers and sisters? You obviously had sisters. do you have any brothers, I suppose, that may have gone on to run the farm? Or was it very much, you know, very much something that you, no one did and you've kind of just got it as a family home now?
2: So our dad actually works farms with our uncle who has a son. So he's sort of come through into the into the farm. Um, but I think kind of from an early age, we were sort of always around the farming side of things. And actually in, um, I guess when I was 16, actually I was, we're both quite independent and I really wanted to get on the road as quick as I could. So (laughs) I took my tractor test when I was 16. Um, I did it in our village shop car park, um, which it seems really crazy you're 16, you're not allowed to drive on the road before the day of your test. So I took my dad out on the day of my test. We went for a drive and he said, right, we just need a practice before your test. And we met, it was quite a busy day on our little country roads, but I never had to reverse for anybody. They see a 16 year old girl driving a tractor (laughs) and they literally, you've never seen anyone going to reverse quite so quickly. So, from then, so I got my tractor to death so then um so then I actually spent quite a few summers um working on the farm, kind of getting some cash together to you know be as independent as we could really so um, <laughs> yeah so so we we both um We've both done our fair share on on the farm growing
0: up. But it wasn't something you wanted to continue. Alice, can you drive a tractor or is that uh something you can't do?
1: No, I absolutely cannot drive a tractor. I, I went down the route of actually sort of waitressing in the local pub, um, because I I certainly couldn't be trusted on a tractor. Um So yeah, I I went down that route um, working all hours in in a pub Um, and uh, yeah, again, just to get some independence. I think I I did pass my tests two months after being 17, was just desperate to get on the road and have some independence. But um, I I probably had a few summers where I spent onion grading, um, standing on the grader in the farmyard, which is not a pleasant task. Um, pretty smelly, dusty. Um, yeah, something I probably wouldn't want to repeat, to be honest.
0: And it's interesting because we've interviewed a few people that have worked or grown up on farms from Tame and Wild through to, you know, Chase Gin, for instance, with William Chase. And we always get back to that work ethic of kind of when you grow up on a farm, you do kind of muck in from a young age and kind of almost get that uh, ability to kind, of, to kind of work all hours of the day, I suppose. Rosie, did you kind of find that growing up, you did kind of muck in from an early age and that's helped you as you could as kind of grow up in life?
2: Yeah, I think, I think it's one of those things that there's always a job. So, you know, you're kind of up early and especially this kind of harvest in the summer. I mean, we were finishing at two o'clock in the morning and then, oh, no, oh, you don't get a lion. You know, your day still starts at, you've got to be back on the farm at seven o'clock in the morning, whatever happens that night before. Um, and I think we're lucky that, you know, being from a farming family, everybody has that ethic. And I think, I think that's probably really helped us to get to where we are now is, you know, we don't think, oh, it's five o'clock, we better clock off now. You know, you kind of, if there's work to be done, whatever hour of the day, it it needs to be done.
0: But neither of you kind of stayed on the farm as we we obviously know now, but you both went off to university, separate universities, I think, if I'm right in saying. Alice, where did you go to uni and what did you study and why did you decide to go to uni and not just start on your own
1: so i went off to oxford brooks university um i'd had had actually had a couple of years out and wasn't quite sure what i wanted to do in life um and i had a, a few jobs actually worked in the travel industry um even selling holidays at one point just i was sort of 18 fresh out of college um and thought i wanted to go straight into the working world um but actually from working with people at that age who were married, had children, that was their job for life. I thought, this isn't me. I'm, I'm not ready to settle down in that proper working world yet. So I um, did a bit of traveling, headed off to Oxford Brookes. Um, to be honest, it was more of a, a life, a lifestyle, getting away from home. It was the first time I'd probably sort of lived away from home. So I saw it as more of a, a life experience rather than necessarily the academic side of it. Um, my, I didn't get very i didn't get good grades in a levels um and uh i just i managed to get in i had to go for an interview and basically talk my way into the uni um i think my a levels even spelt dude um not something to be proud of but <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, headed off to brooks had had the best time made prop you know real friends for life um i did actually study uh retail management so there was always something in me potentially that probably didn't even know it then that wanted to go into that sort of world but it was a um, yeah a mixture of sort of business management um, everything from store design all the modules we did um, were, were really interesting um, and yeah it was I, I really really enjoyed my time there I can't believe it's been years since we left it that's quite a scary thought actually
0: because <laughs> Rosie you went to am I right in saying Newcastle University is that right and you didn't go to the same place, you didn't study the same thing, you were polar opposites in terms of what you actually studied. Why did you decide to go north whilst Alice went south?
2: Well, I, I actually kind of had my sights set on science Lester and Classic, was, the RAU. I, yeah, yeah, of course, of course. RAC back in our day.
0: RAC back in the day, yeah.
2: Um, and um, just to kind of do a business course, you know, we we were always sort of, knew we kind of wanted to do something for ourselves so I thought you know we need as good a tools as possible Um, and society was kind of that's where I was headed Um, and I just thought you know what I'm going to look and see maybe do some sort of accounting financial course which actually would give me more of a grounding if we did want to run our own business accountants are very expensive so you know if I had that background and I've always been better at numbers than words anyway (laughs) Um, (laughs) so so, um, I applied to I actually looked um, basically googled the top accountancy courses in the country Newcastle was one of them I'd been up to stay with a friend and the drinks were super cheap really cheap quite good fun I think it was three trebles for a fiver.
0: Trebles, they don't do that anymore, do they? Trebles are illegal, I think.
2: I was probably illegal. Say it's probably illegal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so miraculously, I got the grades and got in. And, and I always thought, you know what? If I really don't like it, I'm sure Sirencester would probably take me. Um, but luckily, I literally, the from the first day, I never looked back. I loved it.
0: But neither of you kind of went into running your own business straight after uni. You both kind of went corporate in terms of moving to London and working in London. But Rosie, what did you kind of think you'd do when you left uni? Was it go in and do accountancy for a you know large corporate business? Or did you want to go and work for a startup? I
2: think my initial thoughts were get on an accountancy grad scheme, get my accountancy qualifications, and then I can then go off and kind of do whatever I like. And that was sort of the... Penciled plan all the way through. But we had a bit of a financial crisis the year I graduated. So anybody that kind of would have gone into banking couldn't. So the accountancy grad jobs were just ridiculous. You know, there were so many people going for each job. Um, so that kind of scuffed my plan. Um, and actually, through a friend of a friend, um, I got into insurance, which I never, I never knew this world existed in the city. Um, So it was all just through total chance, but it was bloodstock insurance. So being from a kind of horsey racing background, actually, I thought to have that in London, combining everything would would just be a great place to start leaving uni, really.
0: So I'm assuming you graduated in 2008 because of the financial crisis. Was that the, the period that you graduated?
2: Yeah, I was going to say eight or nine. Eight I'm, or I'm nine. I'm hoping it was
0: nine, actually, but it probably okay. wasn't <laughs> <laughs> Hoping it was nine. And Alice, you, I mean, you went and worked for Savills, didn't you, if I'm right in saying, which is... Again, a bit different.
1: Yes, I, yeah, I did. Um, I was there for probably about four, four or five years, and um, I worked within a rural um, marketing uh, team in the head office in, um, well, in Oxford Street. And um, yeah, it was it was brilliant. I was sort of um, involved in a lot of the, the trade shows, um, sort of you know from cereals to the game fairs, um, running the stands at those. So actually, that gave me an amazing grounding for what we then went on to do with Hicks and Brown. Um and and again, being farmers' daughters, it was very much in the the industry that um sorry, in the the area, I suppose rural marketing, um, that I found of interest at the time. But um I guess after four years, we um just get to a point where you're very constrained by um working hours, holiday time, working in the corporate where there's 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 not as much flexibility. Um and I think that's what's just started to to weigh on me really. Um, We've always wanted to set up something of our own. um, And and I think that was, you know, after about four years got to the point where, yeah, we want something of our own now.
0: If I'm right in saying you guys sort of set it up fairly accidentally because you went to a went to a party and I think you had some dresses that were made by your mother and people complimented you essentially and you thought maybe there's a business here somewhere and again it kind of grew from there. Rosie, do you want to tell me about how you sort of went into the world of jackets and then hats?
2: Yeah, I mean we've it's been quite a journey to end up with hats where we are now. <laughs> um but yeah, it was it was actually our wedding and I kind of um Mum had made this jacket for me. And, um, and there's so many people at the wedding, that are like, oh, Rosie, I love, I love your jacket. And and I think at the time, you know, we we kind of knew we wanted to do something for ourselves and we just weren't quite sure where to go. Um, and so we thought, right, let's get some of these made. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it literally started from there. Um, so suddenly every spare second of our time of our weekends you know we were in our mum's workroom luckily she's got a great um sewing room at home and so we just spent the time you know making things and then yeah and then literally took them to a, a local point to point um and that's that's kind of where the journey started really.
0: There's no better way to start a business than going to a point-to-point. We had the guys from <laughs> Beaufort and Blake on. And I with, think a, they did the, with a little I think trestle table same. in a exactly. little marquee you know.
2: <laughs> yeah. It might have been a different year but it was the same point-to-point.
0: Was it really that Ed went to? That's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's a small world. And looking at kind of how you got into the world of hats because again to name drop we had Felix from Fairfax on. Everybody knows Fairfax these days. They seem to be shooing the world but in terms of how they started they were doing gun slips essentially and then they realized that once you buy a gun slip you kind of don't need to buy another gun slip unless you buy another gun and then they went into shoes and and you guys you know did jackets went to an event didn't sell all the jackets but brought some hats along and sold all the hats so is that kind of the point that you realized actually let's sack the jackets off and go into the world of of hats
2: you'd think that ah. but it actually probably took us about a year
0: to actually realize, didn't it? We
2: we went to a shirt. We went to this point to point and we thought, we did. it didn't cross our mind that we'd sold out of the hats. We were just really sad that we hadn't (laughs) sold all the jackets. (laughs) And, And I reckon it was maybe not quite a year, but it took us a while and suddenly... We had this light bulb moment, didn't we? We turned it on his head and we thought, we thought, you know what? If we're always selling out of hats, they're obviously, you know, there's a gap in the market there. This is where, you know, this is where we need to go. So... So it wasn't quite as instantaneous as as you would like to think. And it was amazing,
1: actually, how um, that, gave, that gave us much more of a focus. Um, when you're sort of trying to sell lots of different products, you're fumbling away, you're not really quite sure which direction you're going. And as soon as you whittle it down to your core products, suddenly we were like, right, we know where we are now. And we felt that's where we sort of we oh, were off from there, really. But yeah, we did take a year, didn't we, Rosie, of just... Oh, yeah, it was It was staring us in the face, really.
0: But getting it off the ground, Alice, must have been quite quite tricky to a certain extent because it's all about the time. You guys were basically making these garments yourself, right? And actually, when you were going to the event, you were there in person yourself and you were trying to sell them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it must have been quite time-consuming. How did you make the hats? Because I get how you might make a jacket, but I don't get how you make a hat.
1: So we're, we are, aren't actually milliners, so we don't actually make the hat. But we do all the trimmings, hand finish all the ha- all the, um, the hats. Um, so yeah, we used to buy them from a, from a wholesaler, the hats, and then completely trim them up, decorate
2: them, hand-finish them ourselves. Basically, every hat was different because we just wanted to give people so much choice. I think because we'd narrowed it down to hats, we thought, well, we now need to be as broad as we can with hats. I mean, we had some of them were like purple feathers yellow feathers orange you know and also it was quite fun because we could kind of give people someone come to us and they'd be like oh i've got this tweed coat but it's got a bit of orange in it can you put that you know so we could really do them bespoke and kind of give give people what they wanted um but even that i mean takes so long. i mean who knew how many different shades of orange there were that <laughs> tweed coat? You, know? <laughs> you just don't you think oh an orange feather but um so it, it, even that was so time-consuming.
1: And looking back, actually, o- offering people too much choice was is, is never a good thing. We'd have so many hats on display at, I don't know, a, a trade stand at Burley Horse Trials or something like that, and um, people would just stand there and they just couldn't choose because they thought, oh, well, that's got such a slight variation of color or that's a little bit different to that. So it, it actually wasn't the best route to go down. But, you know, you learn from these things, um, that then you just start need to refining the The collection down um, to what really works rather than giving people hundreds of choice. Or then people would still say, oh, well, do you have one then that's in a violet color or, you know, you've you've offered some choice and then they just think, right, well, I can have whatever I want and try and get something really bespokely made, which just... Yeah, it's not a good use of time. Um, it's not scalable anyway, that way for sure.
0: You need to rein them back in. But in terms of kind of how you launched the business, because it doesn't seem like you did a huge amount of market research. You kind of just, you know, wore something to a wedding, went, I could probably sell it and kind of cracked on from there. And, and, and that kind of worked. But it, it must have been quite expensive to start with to buy the materials or the garments or even the hats wholesale and market it and sell it and pay for the stands at the events. How did you fund that initially?
2: I think we were lucky. And I think that's almost what drove us to London to start with is we thought, you know what, we we didn't, coming back to the whole independence thing, we didn't want to be dependent on anybody else. So we thought, right, we need to go, we need to make some good cash. So we've got something behind us. Um, you know, so Alice even starting working in the restaurants and me on the farm. I mean, you could in the farm in the summer you could earn a fortune and then um yeah and then going to London obviously we we just managed to get a bit of cash behind us um so it's but it's 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 quite scary when you know I suppose it's probably less scary putting our own cash in than than from somebody else but I think that's why we did it quite slowly because we physically didn't have you know, we didn't have a big backing behind us.
1: And quite often then it would be a slightly sort of, I don't know, hand, hand to mouth is the right term, but when you, we'd sell something at a show and then our takings from that would then pay for the next show or it would pay for the next lot of stock. So it was very much actually the sales were then paying were sort of, it was, yeah, everything was going back into the business. Um, at that time we didn't draw a salary for years. Um, so it was very much um yeah the business was almost sort of paying for itself but you know at the time we didn't have any um hadn't employed anyone else we weren't paying rent we were working out of you know from the kitchen table or even then we moved to the garage on the farm so we didn't have high overheads in that sense at all um we started with just little risk really you know if the worst case would be left with probably about 50 hats to sell and that was it so um we weren't paying for storage we were it, it yeah, I wouldn't say it was a huge risk at the start, but you're right. There was no business plan, no market research done. So <laughs> I'm surprised we, we uh, made it out the door to your
0: list. But that's because Rosie had an accountancy degree, so she but knew yeah, how to agree. add up. That's exactly <laughs> why. And Alice, you did a bit of marketing, so you knew how to, how to market it. So when you actually look at it, there was quite good synergy there. But how did you delegate roles out, I suppose, Rosie? How did you make sure that Alice was doing what her strengths uh, sort of aligned with, and, and Rosie, you did what you could do?
2: I don't think we really delegated. I think we thought, right, we need to do this. And I would say, I don't know how to do it. And luckily, Alice would say, I know how to do it. So she'd go and do it. And and vice versa. And I think, you know, anything to do with a spreadsheet, and I think Alice will agree, um, is is not something she's that happy with doing. But then anything with social media or marketing is something I'm completely not happy doing. Uh, (laughs) So we just kind of fell into it. And I think... I think that's why we work so well together is, although we're sisters, we are completely different, um, but I think that's why it works because we have such opposite strengths and weaknesses that actually it, uh, you know, it, it, it really works well. We've
1: got, we've got a lot of trust, haven't we, as well in each other. I I just know that if it's yeah something to do with figures, forecasting, anything, I just let you, I'm just like, off you go, Rezzy, you know, and then likewise with me. And we, um, of course, we come together to discuss lots of things, but but generally, there's never been something, has it ever, Rosie? When I'm thinking, oh, what's she done there? Or, or oh, I'm not sure I agree with that. It's, it's just totally your area. So, um, yeah, and you, yeah, it it just works. We're very lucky in that sense, for sure.
0: Do you ever kind of sit down and and disagree irrespective of kind of uh, you know if it's you know specific to your sector or your role be it marketing or otherwise but do you sit down and go no i want this hat to look like this i want this to look like that or is it quite an easy journey because there must be some turbulence
2: if i'm
1: honest i really don't think there is and we always say it's you know quite often we peak and trough at different times so you know if one of us is sort of having a day we're thinking oh this is not going right or the other one is generally having a slightly better day or can be like come on you know it's, it's not that bad we'll We'll sort this tomorrow, we'll we'll, um, we'll get through it. So we're very lucky in that sense to, to have each other. And there's so many things we've, we've turned up to, I don't know, events or, or something we've been pushed out of our comfort zone. And we thought, thank goodness, we've got each other because <laughs> um, it does make it a heck of a lot easier, doesn't it,
0: Rosie? And in terms of having each other and, and things that have knocked you back, so to speak, be that events or frankly, just buying stock that might have been incorrect, you know, have you got any examples of when things did go quite wrong and actually you thought maybe this is not necessarily it but you know something needs to be done to rectify this pretty promptly
1: there's probably lots of examples but one of them i suppose was when covid um hit we um a lot of our business is in in the shows um also within our independent stockists around the uk and um you know when lockdown hit all the shops were shut because they're non-essential shops. Um, the, the shows were all cancelled. And they're sort were of two big parts of our business. And we thought, oh, crikey, you know, how's this going to go down? We'd just moved into a massive um, warehouse on the farm. We'd taken on a new team member. Um, we'd also upped our stock levels, um, our stock order from the manufacturer thinking because of COVID, oh, we, you know, the factory might have to shut down. Suddenly we're left with excess, you know, all this stock. Um and um yeah two thirds of our business sort of closed down but actually the website thank goodness um just completely kicked off and um was our saving grace really um, we sort of thought, who's going to buy a hat? There's no events going on. There's no where are they going to wear them to. But actually, people were even wearing them in the garden. They were <laughs> wearing. They? Who, who knows, but we couldn't complain. Because
0: <laughs> a lot of businesses that were e-commerce or set up for e-commerce did do quite well for that very reason. I know the guys at Fairfax said the same thing, that they kind of shut down because there was no events. And then bang, you know, there was a huge uplift. And they gave a lot of money to, to the NHS as well. Now, in terms of kind of, pivoting, I suppose. Do you now focus more online than you did offline simply because that's the way the world's gone?
2: I think we were really surprised kind of the uplift of our B2C online business, but, but we really missed going to the shows. And I think the shows are really important. I think, you know, we don't have a shop ourselves. So we don't, we never actually physically see our customers. Um, and the shows is the one place where we can be and you can speak to people, and I mean, there's there's positives and negatives of that, but I mean, the one thing, the big thing Alice and I always take away from a show is, you see someone come past, and you see them nudge their friend, and they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's Hicks and Brown, and you see them like rush in, and the excitement, and you know, by selling something online, you can look at figures, and sales, and you know, you think this is all great, but actually to see that physical reaction from them is, you know, means so much to us, so I think we're, we're really looking forward to getting back to the shows. And I think especially with hats, you know, you do need to try them on. And And we have a lot of people that say, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm totally not a hat person. And then they, they put it on. You know, if they see it online, they just think, no, nah, you know, it's not for me. But you see them put it on and even their face lights up and they're like, oh, <laughs> actually. Um, so so it, it, it's something that although our, our online, you know, has got a lot stronger through COVID, Um, it's definitely shows are definitely something that um, you know we want to continue for the for the foreseeable anyway
0: going back to how you funded the journey guys because i'm really interested in how you actually built the business how you reinvested compound investing if that was indeed what you guys did or did you ask family and friends for money to take it to the next level was there any point in your journey that you had to get outside funding
2: I think to start with, we did it all ourselves, and we kept, you know, putting the cash in, getting it out, and actually, we did, um, we did get a small loan from a from a family member. Just, I think it was our probably our first big stock order, uh, which is always quite scary. Um, but, but no, we've we've always been, and it was one of those things that we kind of needed, you know, we really wanted to make sure we could pay it back very quickly. We wrote up all the to, I think we just actually downloaded some wording off the internet, but at least everyone signed it. So we yes. all felt a bit happier that it was kind of legit. Um, but we've, we've always been, um, uh, just, we just didn't want to borrow anything off anybody if if we could really help it. I mean, we've, we've basically self-funded it from the start. Um, and I, and I think really it's, it's. Yeah, I think we we never took a salary early on and I think that probably really helped. So anything that came in stayed in the business and we just reinvested um, from there really. We did have a lot of
1: support though, um, not financially, but from we had such a, a big support network of our family and friends around us from everything from lending us vehicles to go to shows. To um, physically helping us pack the stock, to um, model for us—I mean, you name it—we've we've really pulled in, you know, every sort of favour possible from from our, our network, really, um, haven't we? Raised even borrowing dad's dad's vehicle to tow a trailer during peak of harvest. The
2: game fair in the middle of harvest. Oh, Dad, can we just borrow your Discovery, please, to tow our trailer? And he's like, Yeah, okay. So he's got like whatever little car we had at the time. He's driving around. He has a little golf
1: at the time. Driving around
2: the farm in the middle of harvest with a little golf because we've cruised off in his Discovery to take it to a show. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course, it would be a golf. It would be nothing else, right? Um, and in, in terms of that kind of a little bit of money that, that your family, that your friends gave you, and, uh, and that you had to sort of sign a piece of paper downloaded uh, from the internet uh, to, to get, what was the value of that? Did you have equity that you gave away, or was it simply, you know, a repayment of loan over time?
2: I think we were so protective of Hicks and Ram. We're like, we don't want to give anything away um so we literally it was just a loan as soon as we had money in
1: the bank it was paid back wasn't it yes
2: i believe we wrote interest on it but i don't believe we actually paid the interest i think (laughs) we just paid the figure back so (laughs) so um but we did pay the amount just not with any interest
0: makes Um, sense well that's that's i mean that and that was your first bulk order you saying in terms of the first big bulk order that you guys had what was the quantity of units that you ordered
2: was it was it three thousand three thousand hats I think it probably was. I think it probably was about three thousand, but you know we kind of ordered this, and it was all great, but we slightly didn't really think where we put these hats when they arrive, so hats actually when they're in a box, take up quite a lot of room if they're like in an individual box um and at the time we were literally in the garage um in the at the end of my garden. Um, so we suddenly had a slight issue of storage. Um, obviously, lucky that we live on a farm, so there's plenty of barns, but barns aren't really the best place. You know, they're a bit dirty, they're a bit dusty. Um, so we actually bought a couple of shipping containers, um, which we I managed to persuade my husband to let me park up in the yard and he didn't charge us rent for the space, so that was lucky. That was nice. Um and, um, yeah, so we literally shoved these hats in the container. you know, we didn't think anything of them getting cold, damp, any I mean, we were so lucky because I mean, if that container had a leak and they'd all gone moldy, I mean, who knows where we would be now, um, so, yes, yeah, so we used to, in the winter, we'd trudge across the farmyard in the mud with a wheelbarrow and we'd literally be <laughs> putting these boxes in and we'd get them back. And then, I mean, so our quality control has always had to be so good because we think, you know, this box could have been, you we just had to be so careful that it hasn't got like a little spider crawling up it or something like, obviously in the old, old days. Um, luckily, things have changed a bit since then. Um, but yeah, I think with the big order, that was, that was the, and, and also we used to take everything to the post office. So the back seats in our cars used to be permanently down, and we'd just pile them in. And the poor people at the post, our little local country post office, I used to turn up in the afternoon, do like five trips from the car. pile. You know, you can't see the post lady because you're just high with boxes. Um, so, um Yes. But I, again, luckily things have changed. We now have couriers that come and connect. So
0: we don't have to worry about. <laughs> Almost like we're in the modern world now. You've got people that actually turn up and pick it up rather than having to get a postman pack to, to <laughs> source it out. But And maybe this is a question for you, Alice, but over the last couple of years, you guys have received quite a lot of press and been featured on, you know, reality TV programmes like Made in Chelsea, you've been in Tatley, you've been in Horse and Hound, you've been in The Telegraph. And, you know, you guys have done quite well from a publication standpoint. How have you generated so much press? And we well, probably get onto the obvious answer shortly but in the in the sort of early days how did you get pr and notoriety well
1: actually in the early days we um because it was just Rosie and myself and we we knew we weren't skilled in in everything we did so we actually outsourced um that part of the business to a pr agency Um, and from then they got us in national press, you know, we were probably only going for about a year in and they were getting us in, yeah, likes of the Telegraph in, um, all sorts of big, big, well-known magazines. And I think that helped massively, um, rather than just focusing on the local, the local papers. Um, and, um, and then loads of opportunities came off the back of that as well, because of course people see your name and, and they start taking you more seriously.
2: I think even our friends and family, I feel, um, we had something in the, country life just before Burley one year. And I think suddenly sort of friends and family had, oh, Alice and Rosie, they've got this little company that they sell a few hats. And then they see us in national press and they're like, oh my gosh. You know, and, and it's suddenly, you know, even friends and family that knew exactly what what we were doing I think it, th- that really helped, didn't it? Suddenly, take getting a bit more seriously. Yeah.
0: In terms of kind of you know, when well, you did start up, I suppose, did you have to beg, borrow, and steal, and just focus on the local press, or did you spin stories and sort of inflate numbers and tell a few porkies to try and get into those nationals? No,
1: no, definitely not. Um, we it was all just on the product, really. Um, I think at the time. Um, there weren't there weren't many people selling hats or, or customizing in the way that we do. They were either the really sort of bespoke high-end companies that if you're going to, I don't know, Ascot Racecourse, you wanted something really flamboyant. Of course, there was lots of those milliners about. Um, and there was then the people selling a, a sort of a 10 quid hat at your local county show just because you've got a bit wet and you want something to keep the rain off. Um, but there was nowhere at the time, right in the middle there of, of um, sort of... Um, really good quality hats as well that are generally are made to last. Um, and the style of them as well, are very classic and timeless. So they're not, it's not fast fashion. They're not going to be out of fashion next, next week, next year. Um, and generally, even if you only wore it once in, in the year, it's, it's good to go the, the next year. Um, so no, we definitely didn't put a spin on things. I think it just came from doing something at the time, which felt a little bit different. I mean, sadly now there's lots of copycats and, and it's um, a lot of people selling a hat with a feather in it. But um, that, to be honest, that just spurs us on more to create new product ranges and, um, and just think outside the, the box a little bit as well.
0: 100%. And I like to think that we're an early adopter because I bought my girlfriend one for her birthday. It's got to be three or four years ago now. And when was it, 2020, that Kate Middleton, Duchess of Cambridge, decided to don one of your hats? And, and it was all over the front cover of most newspapers, essentially, while she was at Sandringham. I'm sure that changed quite a lot of stuff for you guys.
1: Yeah, it really did. And that day, we actually won't ever forget. Um, I think we were at our stepfather's 70th birthday or something. And um, it just flashed up on one of our phones. We got tagged in Instagram by some Russian fan following account, <laughs> royal fan account. Um, and I thought, well, hang on a minute, what's this? And then, you know, to that, that moment we saw it, I'll, I won't ever forget that, um, to see her wearing it outside Sandringham. Um, and just from that moment went absolutely crazy. Um, the orders were just pinging in. I mean, we, we sold out of our hat pretty much straight away. Um, we had phone calls from people all around the world. People expecting just because she's worn one of your hats that you're this global company that um, has, oh, do you have a distribution center in, in Italy or Milan? Where's your hotline? That I could call in Canada. And you're thinking hang on if only they knew we're just this small you know sister duo that are based on a farm in rural suffolk um and you suddenly think crikey we've really got up our game here so we hadn't even got international couriers set up we had you know it was we were based in a little at that point we'd moved out of the um the garage we'd moved into a little bungalow on the farm which had been kitted out to be a bit like an office and um we were tripping over ourselves with boxes uh, it was it was a crazy uh time but just something yeah it was it was mega um and at the time we were we were predominantly focused towards the country lifestyle sector within the uk and almost overnight um that changed and now really 30 percent of our target market are are from the us sorry of our customers really? are from the us that's amazing we, we
2: had us us press contact us we did an interview with the us press and suddenly we were just thrown in and then i think alice and i were talking earlier we um we were interviewing for another member of staff, um, so Alice and I were kind of in a coffee shop down the road because it was carnage in the office. Um, and then one of the girls from the office rings us and says, um, uh, "The kind of local news channel, um, TV channel, wants to wants to come and um, come and do a fe- like a feature on you. Uh, he wants to come this afternoon." So Alice and I were like mid-interviews in this coffee shop. Luckily, we'd finished them. We rushed back to the bungalow, which you can't see anybody because there's just cardboard boxes everywhere. (laughs) Definitely not customer-facing, is it? No, and I think this news reporter was slightly expecting us to be um, a a little more organised, maybe.
1: I remember his comment when he walked in. Oh, right, okay. um, Well, I'm sure we can make it work.
2: (laughs) because uh, it was yeah we were being filmed don't we? it wasn't just uh, a radio interview so the girls had to vacate the office and i think we just shut them in the kitchen didn't we so they were kind of <laughs> out the way there wasn't a lot of space back in um, back then to um but yeah it was it was
1: quite a whirlwind really and and what's quite amazing people talk about the kate effect um and we just thought really you know until you actually experience it um it's it's pretty phenomenal really um that people especially the americans they've just got to have they just love the royals and they've got to have that hat um so when we sold out we managed to speak to our factory immediately and got more on you know so we could take pre-orders which was vital because otherwise we would have lost a lot of sales through that but people didn't care how long they had to wait um, you know, it was going to be a few months till they got the hat, but they were very happy to wait. Um, and even then when it came back in stock, people that hadn't even pre-ordered were just buying it. And it still is nearly one of our best sellers to date. And that happened, what, yeah, over two years ago.
0: Well, I suppose it's because you guys rank so well now. If you type in Hicks and Brown online, then bang, you have a photo of Kate wearing this beautiful blue hat, I suppose. And in terms of what the Kate effect kind of meant to your brand, Hicks and Brown, you know, how much did you actually make from literally Kate wearing your hat?
1: Oh, quite hard to quite hard to pinpoint. I mean, we probably took, I can't remember what the, what the stat was, Rosie. It was something like we took our years takings from the previous year within that, about a couple of weeks. It was, it was mental. Um, it really was, um, yeah, It was quite staggering actually.
0: And have things sort of continued with that uplift, I suppose? So have you just consistently grown ever since that point, or has there been an element where it's sort of leveled off? And yes, that might be a good seller, but actually, it's sort of at an expected level now.
2: I think, I think we've always, every year since we've started, we've always grown. Um, and I think obviously 2020, that was that January was massive, yeah. yeah. And Ala, as Alice said, you know, we kind of reached our targets. the second week in January for the year. Um, But then, uh, you know, we had that concern, we think, you know, this is great, but next year, we're not going to have the Kate effect. So then what's what's that going to do? But, but actually, I think, by having that, um, as Alice said, it's kind of thrown us this whole new market of people now know about us. And, you know, the Americans, especially, I think every time we have a new catalogue, a new product, you know they 're quite loyal followers aren 't they yeah
1: they 're bought into the brand now, um, and I remember that Christmas so that happened in Cape wore the hat in january um, and then the, the Christmas later that year in december um, was was amazing for us and I think that you know people who had bought the hat would then it really spread the word they were buying for their friends for their family these these new customers of ours. Um, uh, it was it was amazing, but yes, you, you certainly can't rely on those special events, as we call it, and you, you can't you can't plan for them either.
0: So <laughs> no, uh, no, you can't. Who
1: knows what's around the corner?
2: I think um, packing tape and boxes. You know, we, we almost <laughs> got to a point where like we've now got the hats, but we can't send them out because we have no boxes. So you know, there was it was. So there's always something. Things and you know that you just you don't really kind of think about at the time.
0: So as you bring on new product ranges or indeed new SKUs, I suppose, are you having to grow the team? Are you having to invest more cash? Are you guys quite happy with how the business is going at the moment and you're you know, stepping back slightly? What does it look like structurally? Rosie, you're obviously pregnant, so congratulations. <laughs>
2: Thanks. With number two, so Alice already oh, has two. Easy then. Um, so, so we're we're just adding to the brood, but um, <laughs> but I think um, the juggle gets even bigger. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. It, life is a constant juggle. Um, but I think we have just taken on. We took on a um, another part-time member of staff last summer, um, who is now with us full-time. Um, but it's really tricky because we we've actually physically can't work twenty-four hours a day every day, which we used to try. Um, so obviously, you know, with, with a young family, it's it's not quite as easy, um, you know, to be everywhere in one go. Um, but we've got a really brilliant team and they've all... They, I mean, they all started with us in part-time roles because I think we were a bit worried about, you know, I don't know, we, we, we never really kind of said... I think we didn't want to let go, but we knew we needed some help. But all of those part-times are now all full time. Um, And our first ever employee is, um, is very much with us. And, um, and she's taken on, you know, all of them have taken on so much more since we've had to kind of step back a little bit. Um, But it's good, it's growing. And, um, and, yeah, I think, I think we're, we're managing where we
1: are at the moment. That's the joy of working for yourself. We can, Rosie and I can make up hours, you know, in the evening, at weekends if we have to, um, whereas, um, and, and we've got the passion, so we want to do it and we want to know where we are at with certain projects. Um, but yeah, Rosie said we've got a, such a great team um, who we fully trust and, and just, they're just, oh, they're, they're amazing. Um, they're, they're a proper sort of hicks around family, I'd say, aren't they? Um, they sort of live and breathe it as much as we do, which is, which is amazing to find that in people.
0: And it's interesting because you guys you guys have really hustled and grafted quite a, quite a lot to get it to where it is today. Alice obviously working two jobs, Rosie obviously, you know, <laughs> sort of working as much as you possibly could around the clock. In terms of kind of how important upbringing was in terms of I don't want to use the term necessarily privilege but having the access to, you know, farm kit, farm machinery, farm space, storage, access to cash if needed. Again, Alice, your husband at the moment runs a business so he gets it. How important has that been to the growth of Hicks and Brown? Because people who've got nothing maybe couldn't have done it.
2: I think we we have been really lucky to have the resources we've had. And I guess that's probably why we haven't had to kind of go elsewhere to get some some funds and that sort of thing. And I think we were really lucky with the kind of risk aspect. You know, we kind of um, every premises we've had has has been on the farm. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, we have always paid our rent and, and that sort of thing. You know, we don't, we, we also don't like to take too many favors. Um, but yeah, at the same time, we, you know, we have been really lucky. And, and kind of when I left London, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have to pay any rent. So, so I didn't, it's those kind of things. I feel if, I wouldn't have been able to throw myself in full time with Hicks and Brown as early as I did if I needed some funds. Um and actually my husband, as well as a farmer, trains point to point horses. Um so when I first came back, I would kind of ride three lots in the morning um before then going to Hicks and Brown. So at least I'd have a bit of cash, you know, to keep me going. Um and actually we were we were talking about it the other day. We had so so Hicks and Brown had kind of started was, was growing quite well you know in the early days and we'd got a few stockists quite big quite big names that we were you know we were quite proud of um but you know I did the phone was diverted to my mobile if I wasn't in the office and you know if I'm riding I was obviously doing this riding to work to get some cash you know that's sort of thing but I thought if they ring me and they think god what's she doing she's just off pottering on a horse <laughs> yeah. jolly around the countryside. Um, so actually, Alice um, is really good at finding, um, we basically found this company called Moneypenny.
0: I who, know Money um, Penny, yeah. Yeah, Yeah,
2: who are brilliant. And they're an answering service, aren't they? So someone would ring the office, it would go through to Moneypenny, and if it was someone important and I was on a horse, I'd say, oh, um, I'll give them a call back. But then, you know, if it was somebody like, I don't know, a supplier or something that we were waiting for some news on then obviously I could kind of talk to them and and that sort of thing. It
1: does make it more human though, doesn't it? We are a family business and at the end of the day, if they heard the horses clip-clopping in the background, it's, um, you know, I suppose not trying to hide too much, but yeah, it's funny how you try and put on this real professional image with having this answering service and then... uh, Little do they know what, what, how we're trying to juggle it.
0: <laughs> I, I've had friends that have used Moneypenny when they've run events businesses because they're always out on site. So it does make absolute sense. But in terms of authenticity, obviously, it's a family-run business. So an element of realism is quite important. Do you guys actually think you'll ever sell the business because it is owned and run by the family?
1: Oh, it's, it's something we we just, it, we, do, we do toy with the idea a bit, but um, it's become so much part of our life. It's it's a, it's a lifestyle thing, isn't it, Rosie? We Hicks some around. That, I don't know what we do without. You know, we've we've built it from, from literally nothing to where we are today that I mean, who knows? When you know, when when our children are big are grown up, you know, is it something we get to a point where we think this is not for us anymore? But um, oh, it's 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 really tricky to know.
2: I think we feel we've got so much more to give and we've got so much potential that um, especially kind of last year the year before and a couple of years, you know, with a real young family, I think, you know, we're not we're not going to try and um, reach our full potential in the next couple of years because we know it's just not, it's not possible. You know, we're always trying to push forward. Um, but but I think, I don't know if we'll ever get to the point where we feel we can't grow anymore. And we've, you know, I think when you run your own business, you, there's always things you can do better. There's always things you want to improve. You're always looking at, you know, anything to to kind of make it better. And I feel that I, I don't know if we'll ever get to that point where we'll be happy and think, right, we've done our job, we've succeeded. I think, you know, like, I think with the whole success and the journey, I think, I don't know, I think like our first goal with Hicks and Brown was, right, let's get this company so we can earn a salary out of it and leave our other jobs. Um, You know, and we thought... That's when we've made it. We got to that point, and we thought, "Hang on a second, this." You know, so I think the the goalposts are always changing. Um, so, um, so at the moment, no, we, we definitely don't have any plans to, um, and
1: I, and I think since when I touched on earlier about the, the our audience, um, you know, 30% is, is from the U S we're, we're barely doing, it. um, that there's just people buying from our website. We've started working with some U S stockists, but we feel the potential there, you know, we barely got started on that. So that's quite exciting of, of, you know, to, to look to in the future because um, they're just a, a big market out there who just love hats. So I think you're right, Rezi, we'll never feel we're done.
0: <laughs> it says of the US are the growth and the expansion out there, though, what sort of tips and tricks would you say to people that are looking to distribute or grow or explore the US as a market? Because you guys kind of accidentally got into it because of Kate, really.
1: One of the things, really, we had to make our website um, much more user-friendly for um, customers in the US. So we work with um, a company called Globally who convert all our all our um, our website into local currencies so from wherever you're visiting from around the world so they, they're seeing it in local currency they can pay in their local currency as well and um, also you get access to incredible shipping rates so um you know if we were just tapping into a ups website the, the amount we'd be charged to send one shipment to america is, is astronomical and we were having to charge that onto the customer at the time but since moving to work with this this Third party, we can now you know send send the hats at much more reasonable price because that's quite often the barrier is the shipping, and um, especially for us with the hats, as I said, it's um, they're very light but they take up quite a lot of space, so you know the shipping price is, is crazy. Um, we did do a little bit of focusing on Facebook adverts out there. Um, we we sort of contacted lots of stockists out there as well. Yeah, I'd say just. it's it's such a big nut to crack for sure so um we were just lucky we just fell into it and able to grow in a quite a yeah, we're quite fortunate in that sense.
0: So the day that this airs is obviously the Cheltenham Festival week. It's the 16th today specifically. So if I'm listening to this podcast in traffic on the way to Cheltenham Festival, where can I find you? What stand number are you?
1: So we're, we'll be in the shopping village all week throughout the festival. We are stand 53.
0: And one thing I suppose that has helped is is the user generated content, I suppose, area of social media or UGC, where people do take photos and tag themselves in hats and such like. And and today being the 16th, and obviously with Cheltenham in full swing there's a lot of spotted pages that, that crop up in the red tops of individuals, celebrities wearing hats or boots or bags or whatever do you guys sit there and eagerly look at who's wearing your hats do you know before they put them on or how does that work for you
1: we work with a lot of micro influencers so um and we've got an incredible um um sort of group of those we work with who wear our hats love taking photos um and sharing amongst all their followers and that's amazing but the the slightly more i call it like the vips um no you don't always know they're going to wear it because quite often sometimes it, their stylist or someone has bought the hat from you without even making themselves known um but yeah of course we're always checking the old you know daily mail online classic classic yeah, so pages on. for uh yeah. any anything spotted so um yeah, we'll be keeping our eye firmly on that.
0: And in terms of scaling, how important are these events to you guys? Because obviously, you've you started out in events, you still go to events. At what point will you kind of go, actually, it's okay, we, we don't need to be at these because we have enough churn and authenticity online?
1: We had one year where we went to loads of shows. You soon start whittling out the ones that do work and don't work. But actually, we've got to a point, we've got about four five core events that just work for us and feel that we we need a presence. Um, I mean, they cost a fortune to, to exhibit at. Um, so, you know, it takes a real hit on the margin, but it's just being seen. And also, um, as Rosie said, with hats, you do need to try them on. People love to try hats on. Um, they're all sized as well, our hats. So um, it's a bit like looking to a shoe shop. You, you do need to try them on. Um, so I think for us, the show business will continue for a good good few years it's it's been part of us from day
2: one so and we love going to the shows don't we and and i think especially you know cheltenham is um kind of being from the racing background anyway you know we love we love being there anyway although sometimes a day goes by and we haven't even been outside we've just see a horse you know, head down head down and we we could literally be anywhere <laughs> um, but um but it's nice and i, I think you know we we love seeing all the customers and you know everyone's so like-minded aren't they which is which is really good and
1: you get a lot of a lot of, our sort of loyal followers as it were say oh are we going to see you at Cheltenham or will you be at badminton horse trials um they they want to see us as well and we you know so it's I, I foresee that being a part of our business for for many years really at the moment.
0: And in terms of micro-influencers and getting people like that on board to wear, your, to wear your hats, what does that look like in terms of costs to a brand like you, for people that are starting up and wanting to use micro-influencers to, to market themselves?
1: So we work with micro-influencers. We don't ever pay a fee to them because we don't, we don't really believe in that. It feels like you're paying someone to talk. It just doesn't feel right to us. We, most of the people that we've gifted a hat to have either bought a product from us in the in the first instance, so they're bought into the brand. They generally love our product, and because they've actually just shouted about it on their social media, we've said, "Hey, hang on a minute, we'd we'd love to send you another product." Well, this is out on you, you know, you've you clearly. We we just um, it, to us it's got to feel genuine. I just can't bear it when you see those ads that say, um, you know, paid content or ad, or it just think you're just being paid to say it, and it just doesn't feel genuine. Um, so uh in terms of going to your question about cost, you know, you can start very small, even a couple of products a month, anything. Um, as long as you get that promise that you'll get just a lovely photo in return that you can then share. Um, of course it's them shouting about it to their um, followers and it can just grow organically like that, but In terms of that versus paying for a full-page print ad in a magazine, you know, it's so much cheaper um, because you are really just paying for the cost price of the hat. So
0: to be fair, if I wanted a hat, I'd go to Hicks and Brown. And hopefully you get some kind of success, Alice and Rosie, at Cheltenham races this week with either a horse or people just coming past the stand and buying many, many garments. But in terms of those that want to buy it online that aren't lucky enough to be at Cheltenham today, where can they go to buy your product?
1: Yes, you can buy it at hicksandbrown.com. And um, you can also buy a lot of our stockists as well. So simply, if you type in Hicks and Brown into Google, um, we've got some lovely independent stockists all around the country that um, even if you want to pop into to store and try one on, um, you can buy one from there as well.
2: So we do um, we do them in extra small to extra large, uh, which you'd think kind of five sizes for people's heads, you know, would probably cover everything. But um, but we've actually found that, you know, there's a lot of people that are kind of in between. So um, we also do a resizer. Um, which has made the bit I mean, when we first started, we used to shove a little bit of foam or or you know, people would just make their own, put a bit of kitchen roll or something in the back of a hat. Um, but we thought, actually, come on, we really need to offer this to people. Um, so we also do these little resizes, they're just little foam inserts that you just pop inside the band. Um, so if you're kind of between sizes, we'd normally say maybe just go up a size. Um, and then just get some resizes with it and that will just kind of bring it down and, and and should fit perfectly. So,
0: Right, guys, you're a staple of the British countryside. Best of luck at Cheltenham Races. Best of luck with everything Hicks and Brandon are doing. Thank you ever so much for joining oh, me. Thank,
1: thank you for having so much us. For having it's, us. Been, it's been a pleasure to chat.
0: Thanks for listening. Join me next week, Wednesday at 8am on all podcast platforms where we'll be speaking to another leading entrepreneur. Show your support by subscribing as without you, this podcast wouldn't happen. Produced by Pinpoint Media and sponsored by Capsule Cover, this was a success is in the mind podcast. Take care.